Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. Huge news last week with the reversal of Roe versus Wade, which to me is almost a surreal, surreal event because I almost can't even believe that it happened. I guess I just assumed realistically it wouldn't happen for a very long time, if forever, but it actually did happen. Uh, and obviously that is going to have profound consequences in America. So I wanted to share a few reflections on that, a few things to think about with regards to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. The first couple of these are, for conservatives, something perhaps to keep in mind for future events. And I've said uh, some of these before. One of them is, when things go badly for you, you have to avoid engaging in self-destructive behavior. If you haven't seen the online reactions to Roe versus Wade uh, reversal, which, to be honest, how could you avoid them? Uh, you may not know, but most of us probably do, that people have lost their minds. And they're saying all kinds of truly insane things, making violent threats uh, against Supreme Court justices, using the N-word to describe Clarence Thomas, using their real name. And in these cases, it's most likely that these people will not suffer any particular negative consequences as a result of their actions or their words because they're engaging in politically favored you know, discourse and action. But the same would not happen to you if you did that. So look at the meltdowns that people are having at events like Roe versus Wade being overturned or like Donald Trump winning the election uh, back in 2016. And just remember, one day, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. Not necessarily on Roe versus Wade, but something is going to happen. Your guy's going to lose an election. Something is going to happen, and you are going to be extremely angry and extremely upset. And when that happens, you have to be careful not to allow those emotions to get the best of you and cause you to say or do something that could have lifelong negative consequences. I, I keep going back to Genesis, uh, where God says to Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, uh, but you must master it. And of course, Cain did not master it. And we have to just recognize in our own life that when things go poorly for us, we're going to be tempted to, to sin or self-destructive behaviors. And we need to learn from watching other people and say, wow, we should not let this happen to us. Something to keep in mind for the future. The second thing is to beware of the potential unintended consequences of you know, violating the rules or violating the norms of society. The reality is that Roe versus Wade was overturned primarily because of the actions of one man, Harry Reid. When Harry Reid was Senate Majority Leader in the Obama administration, 
he invoked what was then called the nuclear option in order to eliminate the filibuster for presidential appointees and for all judicial nominations other than those for the Supreme Court. He was unhappy that you know, the Republicans were obstructing uh, Obama's nominees, and he said, look, we can change the rules of the Senate on a simple majority vote. Therefore, with a simple majority, we can eliminate the filibuster. And so that's what they did. They eliminated the filibuster on presidential appointments and judicial confirmations other than the Supreme Court. Well, then what happens? Trump gets elected, and there's a Republican Senate. And so Trump is able to push through nominations that would otherwise have not uh, been able to get through if they had to get to 60 votes. And so he was able to appoint very conservative Supreme Court justices, and the Democrats basically couldn't do a thing about it. And as a result, Roe versus Wade is overturned. And so I want to be clear that I am not advocating that, you know, we need to, you know, follow all the rules all the time while the other people are, you know, violating them with impunity. You know, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, you know, in fact, what is the best strategy of game theory, uh, you know, according to uh, a lot of different studies? It's tit for tat, right? So there are, there are cases where we need to go off the menu item, uh, if you will, and start saying and doing things that might violate, you know, historical understandings in order to deal with new situations. But we have to be aware that we cannot always control what we've unleashed, that the decisions that we make in the here and now are going to have profound long-term consequences that we cannot predict. And so we're going to have to act in this world, you know, regardless, but something to keep in mind, particularly as a lot of conservatives are saying, you know, what matters is winning and we need to do whatever it takes to win. Maybe sometimes you do. I really feel like Donald Trump uh, took the measure of what the media was going to do to him as the nominee. And, you know, he punched back twice as hard, uh, as they say, and, and he won. And here we are today. So again, I'm not saying that, you know, we have to allow ourselves to be bound by some set of conventions when the people on the other side of the table have decided to do whatever the heck they want. But we need to understand that when you take the step of escalating, then oftentimes, uh, you know, the consequences of that are going to be things that you cannot predict. So I would say Harry Reid, perhaps more than any other single person, is responsible for the fall of Roe versus Wade. Guy's name I'm not seeing a lot of on Twitter these days. Uh, but if you're a Democrat uh, who wanted that to stay in place, then you should have thought about it. Because then what would happen? Republicans were able to push him through. And of course, everybody knew that Harry Reid would, in the event the Supreme Court nomination came up, immediately break the filibuster on that as well. So something to keep in mind. And by the way, I, I think maybe the Democrats seem to maybe have learned something from that because Biden... And these guys are saying, look, we're not going to break the filibuster. We're not going to pack the court because what happens in 24 if you have a Republican trifecta and do that? Who knows what might get pushed through? And so preserving the filibuster, uh, I think, perhaps serves the, the interest of the country uh, at some level. Something to keep in mind. Something to keep in mind. Uh, when you're thinking, I'm going to do X, just got to remember, you can't always control 
what happens as a result of X. Roe versus Wade also shows the power of a moral claim over a utilitarian claim. Former Donald Trump speechwriter Darren Beatty, who runs the great site Revolver News, he has this line, silence is violence beats don't tread on me every time. And the idea here is that silence is violence is a morally imperialistic claim. You know, it essentially attempts to impose a moral vision onto other people. And in fact, we already see this today in the Roe versus Wade responses, where some of these people who are reacting to it very badly are saying, such and such institution, if you do not strongly take action and issue a statement showing your support of women and abortion, I'm never going to patronize your organization again. People are literally posting stuff like that, saying you cannot remain silent. You must do what we want is a form of moral argumentation, moral expansionism. What you've seen with kind of Republicans and conservatism is that they've essentially kind of made utilitarian arguments. Why should we support all these principles? Primarily, they argue because these principles are better for society. You know, the free market is going to produce superior results to a centrally planned economy, uh, for example. And, you know, while libertarianism, I think, at its core is primarily a moral system, uh, not a, essentially a policy system or utilitarian system, the argumentations that are used in normie land are primarily utilitarian. And conservatives really have done a bad job of articulating their vision of society in any sort of a moral way. And what we saw with the pro-life movement is something very different. It was a rival moral vision. It was a moral vision that said, you know, unborn babies are human beings. And as a result, it is morally illegitimate to kill them. And Unlike so many other things that happened as a result of these different Supreme Court rulings going back to the 50s or whatever, this moral vision sustained itself over time. So more than just a handful of people uh, said, yes, this is true. Unborn babies are people. We can't do it. And this powerful moral vision is part of what has led to this moment. It's truly amazing that if you look at all these kind of liberal Supreme Court decisions, how many of them were just basically accepted and people moved on extraordinarily quickly? Some of them are because those were actually the morally correct decisions. You know, banning segregation in schools, Brown versus Board of Education, that was a correct decision. I think most people you know, through the efforts of the civil rights movement, others came to believe that it was simply morally illegitimate to engage in the form of racial discrimination uh, that was premised upon uh, doctrines like separate but equal. It's like, no, we're going to get rid of that because that's wrong morally. And people adopted it very quickly to their credit. What we see here with Roe versus Wade, on the other hand, is a case where the Supreme Court tried to impose something, perhaps thinking, 
that you know society would just go along with it and society didn't go along with it and this sort of morally intransigent position was the key to the power uh, of the pro-life movement because you know it was never ratified in our society that abortion was legitimate there was always a very large number of people who simply said abortion is fundamentally morally illegitimate and they confronted the rhetoric and the moral vision of bodily autonomy and all of that that came through the you know the pro-abortion movement with their own rival moral vision and a moral vision is very attractive and powerful to very very many people you know nasim taleb uh in uh his books talks about the the minority rule principle in which an intolerant minority can often impose its will on society and, and his examples are not necessarily what we would think of when you think of an intolerant minority one of his example was kosher food why is so much food sold at the grocery store kosher it's kosher because observant jews won't eat non-kosher food but the rest of us we will eat kosher food so if those potato chips are kosher we don't care happy to eat them and that allows them to expand the market so, you know by observant jews saying we are going to stay firm on these dietary laws the market responded to that now again I don't think that that's true in every situation because you know if you have you know uh, dictatorial governments that are happy to slaughter people uh then you know your minority rule isn't going to work uh, but this idea that being essentially you know uh morally firm or holding you know intransigently to a position provides power in society even sometimes if it's just a small niche position so what we have here with abortion uh, I think is quite different, <laughs> which is that uh, I think most people in America are pretty queasy about the idea of abortion. So even if a majority of people, uh, and I'll come to this in a minute, don't necessarily support uh, banning it completely, most people realize there's something icky <laughs> uh, about abortion. And you have millions and millions, tens of millions of people who are like, we will never, ever, ever compromise on this issue, no matter what. And that's sort of moral vision moral dedication is a big part of what led to the reversal of Roe versus Wade and so if you want to see changes in society and you're someone who's of a more conservative nature I would say you have to have a, a some kind of a moral vision uh, of society you simply can't make utilitarian functional arguments you simply can't say leave me alone don't bother me uh, you have to have some sort of positive vision uh, for the country and i think the power of a moral vision uh, comes through very well in this roe versus wade reversal the other day i mean i got a little emotional thinking about this because i remembered i think it was about probably 12 to 15 years ago my grandfather died and I can remember how old he was. He was in his 90s. And this guy, this is, you know, 100%, you know, a Sicilian guy, crazy, dedicated Catholic, went to Mass every day of his life up until he was very old. And, you know, when he died, you know, went to the funeral. We're at the funeral home. It's, it's kind of a crazy scene there because my grandmother's just sitting there by the casket and there's sort of this massive line of people 
uh, coming to pay their respects. And, you know, one thing you, you, you learn, you know, over time is you, you attend funerals, and you start observing, like one of the things you observe is, you know, when, when a man dies like that and his widow is still alive, massive numbers of people come to the funeral because they want to support the widow. But then when she dies, it's more likely to be just family and closer people because, you know, it's, it's a different sort of situation. But nevertheless, I remember there a lot of flowers there and there was this huge wreath. By far the biggest wreath there just said, the unborn, thank you. And it was from, uh, I'm getting emotional here. It was from the local Right to Life which he had um, helped found. And he died with essentially zero progress, having been seen on the matter of abortion in his lifetime. And I've written before about taking a generational perspective on things and realizing that like the great cathedral builders who started building cathedrals and worked on cathedrals that they knew would never be completed in their lifetime we have to have a vision that extends beyond the span of our own life and like here was someone who had a vision that expanded past his own life, that he would work on something for decades of his life without seeing any fruit from it, essentially, all the way to the end, and ultimately, the fruit of his labors only became apparent after he was gone. And that's just something that we need to be thinking about, because, you know, a lot of people talk about, let's just, like, let's just take back America, or something like that. And the truth is, you know, it's sort of like losing weight. You didn't get you didn't get fat <laughs> overnight. You're not going to lose the weight overnight. Changes that move America in a fundamentally positive direction, you know, that I might like to see is quite possible. I believe things are possible, but it may not be something that can be accomplished in my lifetime. It may be something they can only be accomplished by future generations. And so we need to have a perspective that extends beyond our own life. Okay. I just had some things pop up here. So hopefully I didn't lose a stream uh, of the thing. And so I think this is a good example of a generational perspective that so many people who focused on this issue Okay, I don't know what just happened there, but uh, my network connection seems to have died. But um, hopefully this point about the generational perspective uh, came through. And by the way, I'm, I'm recording this live by stream. And so uh, this is one where, you know, I said I was going to try doing them live uh, instead of recording them. And this is the downsides of live, but this is live. And I kind of want to end with... Um, some thoughts uh, on the on the prospects moving forward. One of them is that, uh, you know, the the popularity of abortion 
or the abortion, you know, abortion issue, apparently it's quite uh, sensitive to the way questions are phrased when you do polling on it. So the polling on what the public thinks about abortion, I don't think is necessarily that accurate because of the sensitivity to questions. And I think one of the things, however, that the uh, pro-life movement is going to have to grapple with is this uh, idea or this, I think, reality is I don't know that a majority of the American public genuinely wants to completely ban abortion. I mean, if you look at Europe, you know, they seem to have settled through a democratic process because they did not have these Roe versus Wade situations on, you know, 12 weeks or 12 to 15 weeks as the period in which abortion is allowed, essentially first trimester um, abortions. And so as we move to the political battle in the United States, I think it will be interesting to see because I'm not truly certain that the majority of people want a complete ban. I do think the majority of people uh, are troubled by abortion. They think, again, they think abortion is icky. They don't like the idea of, you know, uh, the abortion uh, a regime that the left is wanting to push where it's like you could abort a baby, kill a baby after as long as there's one toe uh, still inside the mother, which is basically the laws that they've put in place in some of these states. Nevertheless, I think it's going to be interesting to see politically uh, where things land. And so I would, you know, I would calibrate caution on that. I do think some of these red states are going to completely ban abortion, but then we will see um, how this plays out politically. And so, so much of the, the focus has been on Roe versus Wade, because you know, with Roe versus Wade in place, nothing can be done on abortion. But now that you get into the the realities of politics, um, I think we're going to start seeing, um, you know, a, a little more of a complex battle. So certainly the battle's not over, even in these these red states, and it will be interesting to see where things uh, land. Because I'm again, I'm not quite sure that a majority want a complete ban. So it's going to be interesting to see, something to keep an eye on uh, moving forward. And so again, just wanted to share these thoughts. Uh, again, remember to have self-control when something does not go your way. You know, don't lose your mind. And, you know, you know, you know when, when something terrible happens, turn off your phone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't let yourself do what some of these people are doing right now. Again, Remember, sometimes you, you violate some of these norms and it comes back to bite you. So not saying don't do it, but, but think about that. And again, think about the, the, the power of a moral claim, moral vision. You may notice the left always phrases things in moral language. Uh, and so I think the, the right has to, to phrase things in a moral language if they want to you know, confront that. And it has to be the right kind of moral language as well. It has to be moral language that's actually true. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the most important thing is we have to, we have to be promoting uh, morality that happens to be correct. Take a generational perspective uh, on things. And then, you know, beware. Uh, I think that the public may not quite be uh, where I think a lot of people think it is uh, when it comes to abortion, but we'll see. This is where the realities of, of public opinion will intersect with politics and we'll just see where things land. So thank you. Momentous times, a lot going on. Thank you all for watching.